This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. Anyone can become an agent of innovation. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Welcome to Trillions. I'm Joel Weber. And I'm Eric Belchunas. Eric, we're going to talk about something that's not actually an ETF today. Yet. Yet. That's that's the key word. And that's the word everybody is hinging on. Yet. Yet. And the what we're talking about is Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and uh, this intense, and that's with a capital I, race to be, come out with the first Bitcoin ETF. Which may or may not happen, and we've had some rejections already. Yeah, it, it looks pretty pessimistic right now, but the energy and excitement- SEC and the, rain cloud. You know, I've equated it to the Cannonball Run, which was a- uh, This is a movie where they rate- Whoever could get to New York to LA the fastest got a million dollars. So some people tried to go in ambulances. Some people took Lamborghinis. Some people uh, dressed up as priests just to get through the, the cops and whatnot. The filings for Bitcoin remind me of that. You see all kinds of deviations and tricks and uh, ways that they're trying to appeal to the SEC's concern. And so far, there's been 26 filings, 11 alive today. But it's been just a crazy sort of derby to try to get out to be first. And if you are first... It's probably going to be uh, at least the billion-dollar ETF, if not a $10 billion fund. And one of the guys in the cannonball run is actually here with us today. <laughs> one of the newest entrants uh, who has a very clever and interesting way to try to get uh, through the SEC. His name is Matt Hogan. He's at Bitwise Asset Management. How do you know Matt? Matt is kind of an ETF analyst pioneer. Uh, when I was co- started covering ETFs in 2006... There really was no model for being an ETF analyst except for Matt Hogan, Dave Nadig, and a, a couple guys who kind of aren't around anymore. Um, but Matt and Dave in particular had an ETF podcast, and I listened to it religiously. They were talking about flows in and out of junk bond ETFs 10 years before anyone else cared. And I learned a lot from them. And so Matt has also went off to uh, basically run the Inside ETF Conference, which is that ETF- We've been there. Yeah, we, we, that's well, the one we you did went. The- I went and recorded all the people, and you you, fa- you got obsessed on the ice cream truck from Deutsche Bank. I mean, yeah. wh- how could you not want <laughs> ice cream? <laughs> um, some of the marketing is getting really crazy there. But uh, Matt essentially is one of the most well-known ETF analysts and thought leaders in the space. And boom, about, I don't know, six months to a year ago. Dude he, went crypto. He went crypto. Okay. Let's, Shocker. Let's talk to him. On this week's episode... Matt Hogan, who went crypto. Okay, so just in case you've never heard of Bitcoin, it's this thing. It went up really, really high, and then it came down. And that was when Matt was like, this seems like a good idea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you literally went in right when Bitcoin uh, came down in what, January? I think I'm sure. largely responsible for the fall, <laughs> at, least, at least 50% responsible. No, there's nothing like jumping in trying to catch a falling knife. So, so what, what did you see? 
Ah, what did I see? It's a, I'll answer that in two ways because there are two sides to it. So on the one hand, it's not like I had just jumped into the crypto space. I had been following it for a long time. We had actually had the Winklevi twins at our conference, I think, in 2014. You can't talk about Bitcoin without talking about them. You have to talk about them. Yeah. They're always there. Always <laughs> yeah, there both in of your them. head. That's right. It's never one. That's, well, you only have to see one, but uh, and then you can just factor it. But um, so I, I had been I had been interested in the technology. I think there's a legitimate case for a non-sovereign store of value. I think some of the smart tr- contracting technology is interesting, important, and possibly transformative. But I had gotten sort of to the end of what I wanted to accomplish for the core of what I was doing in ETFs. Right, as Eric said, when I got into ETFs, there was no framework for analyzing ETFs. There was no one following flows. Dave Nottig and I built the first ETF rating system. I probably gave an ETF 101 presentation a thousand You're like Eric times. pre-Eric. I'm pre-Eric. That's yeah. right. He, He's a better, younger, more handsome <laughs> version of He's me. He's the Woody Guthrie to my Bob Dylan. Kind of generous. It is. A little Bob Dylan there? I'll, I'll, I'll support it. Thank I'll you for saying it. that. Right. I'll support All it. Right. Um, <laughs> but but I, I was looking at what to do next. And what I wanted to do, what I love to do, is I love taking things that are complex and opaque and that people don't understand and trying to help make them simple, easy, and digestible for investors, particularly when I think it can have a positive impact impact on investor portfolios. So I looked at all the things that were out there. I actually ended up with two things I was really considering. One was crypto. The other were option strategies, both of which I think can be additive to portfolios. But crypto had the most potential for sort of uh, transformative effects, the most interesting disruptive potential, and also the worst existing analytics and educational materials surrounding it. And I thought I could help explain crypto to uh, to investors, to advisors, to institutions, to family offices. And that's what I've been doing for the last six months. I'm guessing you have had a lot of meetings. I have had a lot no of meetings. No one understands what's going on. And everyone wants to learn. Everyone will take your meeting to talk about crypto. That's absolutely true. Uh, and you get you get from people who love it and uh, just want to talk about how great it is to people who think it's actually worth less than zero, which is an interesting perspective. So that, that spread, that margin between those two sides, you could say that there's um, full crypto, maybe a little half crypto. And then just anti-crypto. Mm-hmm. Let me jump in on this. Um, to go full crypto, I think, is when you see somebody sit down and try and say something like, your mind is like in the horse in the age of horses, and I'm talking about cars. Like, kind of weird stuff like that, like evangelism, hardcore, the kind of stuff that I think sort of scares the SEC. Yeah, Especially yeah, Especially yeah. when you bring in, like, monetary policy and all kinds of stuff like that, right? Uh, so, abs- yeah, overthrow. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so, and people who are predicting Bitcoin prices will be at a million dollars in six months. So how and Bitcoin all. are you? How yeah. Bitcoin yeah, am Where I? are you on zero crypto. to 100% crypto? How, how crypto are you? Yeah, how crypto? <laughs> Give us a rating. Well, I, I, I'm probably middle crypto. I'm probably middle crypto. I'm we need probably, a number. You need to quantify I'm it. probably 57% crypto, <laughs> 57% if crypto. you want. Okay. Which is to say, I believe that it has the potential to have transformative effects on various parts of the financial ecosystem. And I believe it has the potential to be a legitimate store of value. But those aren't proven, and there's a potential that those don't pan out. And let me ask one question about this. I think that the energy and the resilience of Bitcoin is really what has gotten me to be somewhat of a believer. Every time it should be dead, it comes back to life. And you meet people, it's got such an underworld that's enthusiastic. It does remind me of ETFs in a way or passive investing. Here's the one problem I have. Like, say marijuana is uh, on the rise in terms of investing. I literally smell more pot on the streets lately. I I can literally smell it or see it. Like, when these things 
uh, emerge from the underground. Normally, you can like see them around you in mm-hmm. your life. I'm still yet to meet anybody or know anybody that's used Bitcoin as a currency, and I thought I would. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think it is a currency. I think I think you're expecting the wrong thing, Eric, because there, there are various reasons it's not a currency. The transaction rate is slow. It's actually a taxable event every time you buy something with Bitcoin. So if you went to buy a cup of coffee with Bitcoin, that would be a capital gains taxable event. That's not an experience anyone wants to have. So you're never, if you're expecting to see it in your daily life and you live outside of South Park in San Francisco, uh, you will not have that experience. <laughs> now, if you want to come out to my office and go out... And buy a latte with Ethereum, you can do it. But that's a unique bubble situation. So what what you should expect to see is you should expect to see it fulfilling the role that gold has in investors' portfolio as a non-sovereign store of value. You should expect to see it start to chip away at the parts of the financial ecosystem that are so grossly overpriced and indulgent, like uh, like international transfers of money and remittances, where Western Union is charging 8 or 9%, and you can do that with crypto for pennies and instantaneous settlement. It's always the case that new technologies disrupt the fattest part of the ecosystem, where they can have a 10x reduction in cost. That, that starts at international remittances. Uh, it might start at international trade transfer. It might start at things like escrow for smart contracts, all of which are wildly overpriced. So you're going to see it in a professional setting long before you see it in a sort of retail setting. I think retail settings could be 10, 15, 20, 40 years from now. But let's take this investing uh, now. Okay, so let's say it's views as a commodity. I want in. I read a book on cryptocurrencies on, on a plane ride or Bitcoin rather, and the details to get a wallet and set it up were uh, pretty numbing. They turned me off. It was yep. too complicated. So yep. I get the need for a fund. What is that what you do now? You, you have a fund. It's not an ETF or a mutual fund, obviously. It's a, what, a private fund that offers a convenient way for people to get exposure. Can you talk about that? Yeah, sure. So we launched the first cryptocurrency index fund. It's called the Hold 10 Private Index Fund. It's available to all accredited investors, uh, anyone with $200,000 a year in income or a million dollars in assets. It holds, importantly, not just Bitcoin, but the top 10 cryptocurrencies weighted by market cap. Uh, those capture about 80 to 85% of the market. What are those 10? What are those 10? They are Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, Bitcoin Cash, Monero, Dash. Uh, I'm leaving out a few. Ripple? Ripple is in there, absolutely. And they changed. Th- that proves he's only 57%. Yeah, uh, that's right. Yeah. Like, when you can rattle all those off, I think he you got might be... 57% way through yeah. the list. Intentionally. Yeah, intentionally. <laughs> yeah, the, the seven was waiting for you to suggest Ripple and then agreeing that it was yeah. in. Um, no, but I, I think that's really important, right? Like buying just Bitcoin would be like buying just AOL during the start of the tech boom. This is an early stage technology. We don't know who the winners would be. It could be that the first mover like Amazon dominates. It could be that Bitcoin is MySpace and there's a Facebook that's yet to emerge. So having a diversified exposure is, I think, a better outcome for investors. And we make it easy, relatively cheap in the crypto space and convenient for people to do that by investing in our fund. And we have hundreds of investors and millions of dollars in assets. How similar do you think what we just lived through with the Bitcoin going to twenty thousand in last December, yep. and then coming down, and you know who knows where it is and where it'll go? How similar do you think that was to nineteen ninety nine? To nineteen ninety nine, I I don't think it was similar to nineteen ninety nine. In that in nineteen ninety nine, 
everyone had an overweight to technology in their portfolios. And today, um, almost no one uh, has an overweight to crypto in their portfolios. There are the 100% crypto people that do, but our estimate in our fund is people have about 2.3% of their liquid net worth invested in the crypto markets, which is not the same case as it was in technology. So look, crypto has had, I think it's six 50% or more drawdowns. This is actually not abnormal. Even if you look back at some other sort of speculative assets that were reborn, like gold after we went off the gold standard, it had large ups and downs. Um, I don't think that was 1999. I think we're actually a long way from that sort of hysteria. I think that was maybe 1994. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to help realize a mission to Mars. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. You just described what sounds like a good uh, asset class for a hedge fund, right? It goes up and down. It's very volatile. There's some uh, concerns. This is what the SEC is concerned about. Should what you just described be democratized via the ETF? Oh, absolutely. 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 Yeah, yeah. you're preaching uh, to the choir there. Yeah, you are preaching to the choir. But let, <laughs> yeah, let me let me right. let me let me, yeah. let me. But pretend I'm the SEC commissioner. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this just got really interesting, <laughs> Mr. SEC commissioner. Uh, I don't know what my lawyers would say about this. Um, I, I would say two things, right? So, so first, on the one hand, people already are getting access to crypto and Bitcoin, not just through funds like ours, but there are more accounts at Coinbase than there are at Charles Schwab. So, people are accessing this space with limited education in unregulated vehicles at an expanding rate. And if we wait long enough, that number is just going to get bigger and bigger. All of those people would be better in a vehicle that had been vetted and approved by the SEC with requirements around disclosure, uh, with clarity around trading costs, all the other factors that come with that. So that's, that's, that's one big piece of it. The other big piece of it is why should investors want this in the first place? And the answer to that is just math. If you take away the emotion from crypto, if you stop thinking about it as this asset that's people are 100% in or down the rabbit hole or whatever, and you just look at the data, it is a highly liquid, high return, uh, high potential risk, low correlated asset. That's a magic combination. And even a 1% allocation to crypto in your portfolio, if you rebalanced it the way an institution would since 2014, would have boosted your Sharpe ratio by 25% on a 60-40 portfolio. So historically, it's been a great portfolio diversifier at very low levels. And we think all investors, not just rich investors who qualify for our funds, should have, have the ability to access that. Mr. SEC, what do you say to that? Well, I personally agree. I'm very liberal with this. I, I just think that it's going to be called a Bitcoin fund. Dude, that, it, you're so, totally not Mr. SEC. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Which is I, good. No, I'm Hester Pierce here. He just went full, Hester Pierce he just is the commissioner that has dissented from the rest of the commission on this. And I agree. And I call it a wolf in wolf's clothing. It's literally called a Bitcoin fund. People know, at this point know it's kind of, uh, it, it, look, it's not large cap stocks. It's ETFs like the oil fund, I know you work with John Highland now, that to me are a, sh- a wolf in sheep's clothing. Um, I also think that there's triple leveraged ETFs that are more volatile than a Bitcoin ETF would be. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's in the best interest of the providers of these ETFs to make it work. And if you, and Matt, as you know, when you, the ETF structure rocks, 
you can throw anything in there and it'll be the best deal possible because it's going to bring in the richest, deepest liquidity from these market makers who will just figure out the best way to arbitrage. They will bring liquidity to those exchanges. In fact, the ETF, you could argue, will will help clean up and add more liquidity to the exchanges. So it's almost like a build it and, and the ETF is actually what should be the proactive thing here not the reactive 10 years down the road. Okay, yeah, I, I mean, I, I will add, I, I will just say in the SEC's defense, they are being very thoughtful about it, very cautious about it. The questions that they're raising, right, so they recently rejected the Winklevoss's application for a crypto ETF. The questions that they raised in those objections are legitimate questions that deserve very clear answers. I've actually been hugely impressed how fast they've come up to speed on the crypto space from, say, a year ago. They're dedicating real resources to it. So um, I, I think they will get there. I think it is a matter of when and not if. Uh, but they're actually doing a good job asking good questions. Distill their reservations down to a few points. Well, so uh, you, you have to think about that there are probably two sets of reservations that are worth talking about. There's the, the rejection of the Winklevoss application as one, and then there's the earlier letter from Dahlia as another. So the rejection of the Winklevoss application had to do largely with the integrity of the underlying markets and the ability to prove that crypto, or Bitcoin in that case, um, trades cleanly and with no market manipulation. Remember, uh, crypto exchanges are largely lightly regulated or not regulated at all. And the SEC is concerned that those markets may be manipulated. And the way to overcome those concerns is through greater data and analysis uh, of, of, of pricing across different markets, of, of volume trends, etc. And so what, what they sort of hinted was, if this stuff comes into the light, that might change it. But the way it stands now, no. Th- that's, that's correct. They want to see more trading on more highly regulated exchanges. That's the direction the industry is going. I also think additional data analysis around the trading that's going on on those exchanges. That particular application also is focused on a single exchange. There's actually a broad ecosystem of crypto exchanges. So um, I, I think I think that will overcome the 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 earlier letter that uh, the SEC wrote in January or December of this year also looked at things like custody, like accurately striking a NAV, uh, like pricing in the crypto space, all of which are questions. I will say, uh, and one of the things we're excited to talk to the SEC about, those are questions that we deal with in our own fund on a daily basis. Um, so we have some experience with that, but but they're legitimate questions. Um, you know, one of the reasons I am also in favor of an ETF is that the current product out there that people are using in place of an ETF. In fact, Schwab even puts it in their ETF category is GBTC, which is a, I think it's called the Bitcoin Investment Trust. It's a private trust traded over the counter. And last time I checked, the premiums were between 50% and 100%. It's sort of like a closed end fund in a way. So in other words, Bitcoin could go up and you could go down simply because people sell out of the fund because there's a fixed amount of shares trading. It seems to me that that should factor in because you're going to get more and more people piling into something that is really flawed. And an ETF would probably, I've heard, maybe trade at a premium of 1% to 2% with the kind of market makers that would be involved. What do you think of that? I, 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 I couldn't agree more. Uh, and our analysis of the, the arbitrage possibility and the depth of market in the crypto space, not just for Bitcoin, but, but across the largest assets in the crypto space, suggests it will trade at spreads that are around the average for the ETF industry, which is somewhere between 10 and 20 basis points, and that premiums uh, will depend on the direction of, of, of trading and interest. Um, it's absolutely true. GBTC proves that people want to buy exchange-traded crypto. Uh, they are buying a flawed vehicle in that it trades at a large premium and discount. We know from the closed-end funds 
uh, the history of closed-end funds, that buying closed-end funds when they're trading at large premium is not a winning strategy. And so it would be better if investors could buy at a fair price. And there's two uh, Bitcoin ETNs in Sweden, yep. which um, I've covered a lot. They do fine. They trade at pretty small premiums. They've seen flows in and out. They've been around for a couple of years. They made it through that huge spike up and the drawdown. Um, is that not enough of an incubator for the SEC? I think it's a great proof point of what crypto can do. But remember, the SEC doesn't care what's going on uh, in other markets. They're concerned about protecting U.S. investors. And again, they're asking good questions. So what I think people are making a mistake when they see these rejections is assuming that this is the end of the road, that there is no way around these objections. I don't think that's true at all. The crypto space moves at an extraordinary pace, the pace at which market makers are entering crypto. Six months ago, there were very few major market makers. Now we have Jane Street, we have Susquehanna, Goldman Sachs is in. Um, the, the space is evolving very rapidly. I think these objections will be overcome quickly and not at the slow pace that some people project. So let's talk about that because there's outstanding applications that will be discussed in the near future. What do you think their opportunities are and where's the white space that the SEC yeah. hasn't addressed yet? And if I could, I'll just read a couple of them off, right? So there's the Vanek SolidX Bitcoin Trust, which could be decided on in a month or less. There's yours. There's uh, Granite Shares Bitcoin, Granite Shares Short Bitcoin. And then Direction has a couple one time and two times, which are leveraged, which obviously probably stand a snowball's chance of hell unless one of the other ones gets approved first. Uh, Who's the favorite? Well, well, I can't, I can't talk about any particular filing. I'm not going to handicap any particular filing, uh, including our own. So I can't, I'm not going to make a singular prediction. What I'll say is that we believe, and the reason that we filed for a product, that the preconditions to allow an ETF to trade um, exist today. Right, so we think we can strike a nav accurately. We think we can price uh, crypto accurately. We think the underlying markets are sound. Otherwise, we wouldn't have filed for an ETF. I think it's just a matter of how long and how much data the SEC requires to support that to get that launched. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know which of those applications will be filed first. We're broadly supportive of any crypto ETF uh, getting launched into the market. Uh, we think that an index-based product can make sense for some investors. Um, but I think the preconditions to allow crypto ETFs to function uh, exist today. So I gave odds this morning on this. And on average, I'd say I, I, I give 7% chance this year and maybe 30% chance by the end of 2019. Am I in the ballpark, in your opinion? Oh, I, I, I'm obviously more bullish than that. We wouldn't have filed an ETF if we didn't think it could be approved in the near term. So um, we're excited to talk to the SEC, and, uh, and we're, we're hopeful for that dialogue. Your lawyer will love the answer to that question. Yeah. You, that was you, really good. How do you lawyer up <laughs> for this? I feel my lawyer yeah. sitting on my shoulder yeah. right now. Uh, we I saw him. I saw him. He's right yeah. there. He's, he's having a coffee. Yeah, yeah. These aren't billable hours. Um, who, how do you lawyer up for this? Yeah, so so there there are a wide variety of good uh, of good lawyers. Uh, we filed our our ETF with Vetter Price, but really it's about just getting involved well with the SEC and talking with them. You know, as as we mentioned earlier, John Highland is part of our team. John launched the first crude oil futures ETF, the first natural gas ETF. He has a lot of experience doing firsts in the crypto space. Um, but we just filed. Uh, we, we haven't engaged with them. We're, we're looking forward to that. 
And what kind of dialogue do you expect now that you're on the other side of the Winklevi hearing? Like, what, what, what kind of questions are you preparing for? Yeah, so, so the thing that we can do that we hope will be helpful, uh, and, and I don't know because I haven't sat down with the SEC, we have an extensive amount of data. You know, we pull data from all uh, major crypto exchanges around the world. So we have a lot of analysis about pricing in crypto and how true the, the sort of law of one prices with crypto. So I think I think analysis on around the quality of the crypto markets is something that we can add value to. And we also have this experience running a fund and striking a NAV and serving investors and pricing crypto that we can talk about. Again, I don't know how helpful those things will be, but I think they're informative to us. Your fund, right, which you have said has been called the vanguard of cryptocurrency, yeah. right? The, okay. Now, it does charge 2.5%. Yeah, that's not Vanguard. Yeah, that's not very Vanguardian. <laughs> what, what do you say to that? I don't know. That seems pretty um, hedge fundy. Uh, well, a hedge fund would yeah, charge... Yeah, your decimal's in the wrong place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's be clear. Yeah. A, a hedge fund would charge 2 and 20. Uh, last year, our, uh, our, our fund was up, uh, I think, over the last 12 months. Uh, the index that is behind our fund, some of this is back-tested data, some is live, is up 1,000%. So that would be a 200% expense ratio, which is a lot more than 2 word in a hedge fund structure. So why is it 2.5% for regular accounts and 2% for accounts of a million dollars or up? The, ch- the answer is that the crypto market is a nascent market. So the costs in crypto are substantially higher. Custodying crypto on an institutional basis is really not cheap. All the audit, tax, etc. is not cheap. It is expensive vis-a-vis a, you know, an S&P 500 ETF, Obviously, but in the crypto space, two uh, percent is or two and a half percent is actually on the lower side of average. Speaking of uh, Vanguard, I know one of your idols and somebody who's been very influential in your career is John Bogle, mm-hmm. Vanguard's founder. Mm-hmm. He was asked about Bitcoin. He's been asked a few times. I think reporters just do it to troll him to see how how far he'll go with his answer. One of the ones that stuck out with me is he said, "Avoid it like the plague." And he's had some other ones. I, we asked him if Vanguard would ever launch a Bitcoin fund, and he said, over my dead body. So he's got these colorful, hardcore answers. Right. How do you uh, marry those two things? Somebody who's been so strong in the passive world, completely kind of crapping on your I think new world. It's the, the Matt Hogan paradox. <laughs> the Matt Hogan <laughs> paradox. Well, I, I'd start by saying, didn't he say the same thing about ETFs? He was extremely negative about ETFs, and I, I maybe called them weapons of mass destruction, or there were other fantastic terms. He is a hero of mine. And we, we've seen similar negative comments from Warren Buffett and other investment heroes that we all look up to. Look, it is a disruptive technology. It is divisive. It is new. Often when disruptive technologies come into, uh, come into being, they're dismissed by a large portion of the population. If they were immediately embraced by everyone, it wouldn't have the, the risk-reward payoff that it has today. So I'm not all that surprised. He also, I would add, and this is directly relevant, he's not a fan of commodity investing either. He likes assets that have cash flows and returns. And crypto, unless you're talking about staking rewards and emissions and airdrops, it doesn't have those same cash flows and returns. So I, I think a lot of where he trips up on is the same place he trips up on commodities, but, but you know, I, I think, I don't know, five, ten years from now, maybe he'll come around. <laughs> um, I got to ask about the filing. Do you have a ticker in mind? <laughs> because oh, yeah. we, and by know, the way, we know it's, you know, it's the, the, the biggest it, thing in this his is, is called, get the ticker right. Also, somebody said yours is called the hold index. Why isn't it HODL? Yeah. I, so I can't talk about He's our blushing. filing. He is blushing. Here's <laughs> yeah. a little lawyer. I can't talk specifically about our filing. We have talked about how much fun we are going to have uh, selecting the ticker for it. We are <laughs> going to get 
all available tickers and put them on a wall and run through them until we find the exact right one. I, I do know uh, who has reserved the, the HODL, H-O-D-L, uh, ticker. And so I hope to have a conversation with him. That would be a nice one. But um, I don't know. Do you guys have one in mind? No comment. My lawyer says I can't say. <laughs> uh, I mean, you are the king of tickers, Eric. Come uh, yeah, on, man. I, I'd have to think. Uh, coin is good. And then the, the blockchain ETF used coin with a K. That's kind of a cool one. Yep. Um, Try, trying kind of hard, in my opinion. Eric? You change yeah. that letter. We could go with Eric. Just yeah. put it out there. Yeah, sure. Just go ahead. <laughs> celebrity endorsement. <laughs> So let's play this out. Say there is, say you get approved first, right? Great. Uh, good for you. You're in there first. Your ticker is HODL. How, how much room for other crypto or Bitcoin or, or et cetera uh, products, ETF products, do you think there is? Yeah. So I think there will be a lot of single coin products, at least because I think there's uh, obvious uh, demand for Bitcoin and Ethereum and a few other single coins. We think there are other indexes that are interesting and valuable. We're just about to launch uh, mid-cap, small-cap, and total market indexes covering up to 100 coins. There are also strategies that we think will be valuable. Look, this is a $300 billion market today. Uh, We think it could be many, many multiples of that. If it becomes a couple trillion dollar market, will there be space for equal-weighted crypto? Absolutely. Will there be space for actively managed crypto funds? Absolutely. Will there be space for momentum crypto funds? Absolutely. And I'm not giving away the store. Everyone is thinking about this. These trends are obvious. uh, And I think there'll be a lot of products out there. So- do you ever think about if if all this were to go sideways? Yeah, what does that do to the ETF landscape if yeah. if, it, if it were approved? Uh, if it, what do you mean by go sideways? Unforeseen events and investor confidence wins. Uh, so so I think that's an extraordinarily unlikely scenario. If it's approved, right? If it's approved, the the two black swan potential negatives that are out there that we think about a little bit are uh, regulatory bans of of owning particular crypto assets. Right, So there is a history. It was once made illegal to own gold in the U.S. many, many years ago. You could imagine that scenario. In that case, the fund will just divest of that particular crypto asset. There will be no harm to investors. Um, the other possible thing people talk about is a hacking of something like the, the Bitcoin network. Um, I would say that uh, it's been out there for 10 years. It's the most obvious honeypot for hackers in the world uh, with hundreds of billions of dollars in value uh, and, and, and bearer instruments. It hasn't been hacked, so we feel confident that it will stay that way. But obviously, that would be a negative for the market. Um, let's talk quickly about ETFs. You've done a couple pieces of work that I have just found great. The world's cheapest portfolio. You, mm-hmm. you came up with this. Uh, this is where you take the cheapest ETF in every asset class, like a legit portfolio, and you give the the asset weighted fee. Right now, I think it's six basis points, five. It's down to five. Uh, it kind of goes down about a basis point a year. Are we headed towards a free portfolio in a couple of years, <laughs> or is it or is it going to top out at five, four or five? I think it'll top out at a couple basis points because I don't think people trust free in asset management. Uh-huh. I, I think people, if you're giving them free asset management, they wonder how you're Suspect. taking advantage. Yeah, exactly. Like like the Robinhood Exchange. Uh, people know that there's some way that they are making money. People would rather be stabbed in the chest than stabbed in the back. <laughs> um, and, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and we discuss this a lot. Right now, passive is about 35% of fund assets, mm-hmm. which means it's 16% ownership of the stock market. So 35, 16. Where will it be in 10 years? Uh, I think it'll be 75% of fund assets and, and whatever related. 35% of the stock market. Yep, okay. absolutely. Um, 
Vanguard and BlackRock are a duopoly. They're, they're now taking in almost all the money out of 700 asset managers. Will this continue or do you think uh, there will be some kind of a, a consolidation or something that – like what could stop them? I think what could stop them is – networks that have distribution enforcing that distribution, like Charles Schwab raising the price of other asset managers to, to, to access ETFs on their platform and keeping more assets for themselves. So I think all assets will default, uh, or most assets will default to extremely low-cost beta vehicles as the core of their portfolio, but they might be captive within distribution networks. Morgan Stanley might launch its own products instead of outsourcing them to others. That's the only possible way that that Trend that that trend could could be reversed or at least slowed. Bogle told us in our interview that what he's writing in his new book is that there's going to be mass mutualization of the big financial companies. In other words, they're all going to have to convert to Vanguard's mutual ownership structure. Uh, consolidating and lowering fees will not be enough. It's too late. What do you say to that? I love that vision. Um, I don't know. That's an interesting question. Look, I think BlackRock has shown you can be very profitable, even with an extraordinary amount of low-cost assets. I think you're going to see more people follow the BlackRock paradigm of barbell strategies with uh, an extremely low-cost core that they use essentially as a marketing expense to attract investors, and then some high-cost special sauce that they throw on top. When does crypto make it into the world's cheapest portfolio? <laughs> once and, we, and it's going to raise the price. Oh, a little bit. Look, uh, once <laughs> a we, little five to fifty, right? No, there. once we once we launch an ETF. Look, the thing about crypto is, uh, even as much as I love it and as much as I think it's important and additive to a portfolio, it should be uh, you know one, two, three percent of your portfolio, no more, and you should diligently rebalance it if it ever exceeds that target band. So will it come into the world's cheapest portfolio? Absolutely. Once a diversified crypto product is launched, but the allocation will be appropriate for investors, which is to say about 1%. Whatever ETF gets approved in the crypto space, what do you think the first day inflow will be? That's a good question. Let me add on to that while you think, which is that the record to the fastest to a billion is GLD took three days. Uh, BBJP just came in second in about a month, and then Bond is third at two and a half months. So that's just to tell you how hard it is to get to a billion. It takes a long time. Mm-hmm. Would crypto, would a, would a physically backed or Coinbase backed crypto ETF be able to get to a billion in less than three days? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think uh, there is significant pent-up demand for uh, regulated exchange-traded crypto exposure, but I think most of the money is still in the learning phase about crypto. The advisors, family offices, and institutions we're talking to right now are either in the dip-their-toe phase or they are still in the learning and education phase. So depending on how long it takes, how much pent-up demand there is, that'll answer that question. But if it were soon or right now, I think people are still investigating and learning more than they're all the way in. I want want to do a quick speed round. Um, how many people are in your fund? How many? Uh, Six hundred plus LPs. And how much money in dollars is that? In dollars, we've had over forty million dollars in inflows. Do you get paid in crypto? No. Why not? Uh, you have too much basis risk versus your daily expenditures. How many people do you employ now? We have fifteen people on our team, and we're hiring a few more. How do you talk to your kids about what you do? My kids love you have what three, I have three kids, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were how, very... did, how did you describe this when you <laughs> left ETF and went crypto? They were very suspect at first, uh, but they have come to realize that I'm now the cool dad 
in the family of cryptocurrency asset manager. My uh, my daughter Magnolia talks about digital money. That's what she gets, and they they fully like the idea of digital money. It seems native to them and obvious. And you're one of I counted six people this year alone that's that's gone from the ETF world to the crypto world. Yep. Uh, what do you make of this? And are, are there similarities that would attract somebody? Absolutely. There are two huge similarities that are really important to understand. One, disruptive to the status quo in the financial ecosystem. Uh, ETFs were that, and they have disrupted mutual funds and other parts of asset management. Crypto is that to broad swaths of the ecosystem. And two, at their core, a lot of what they're about is disintermediation. The reason ETFs are low cost was they disintermediated a lot of distribution cost. That's the primary advantage of ETFs. They cut out a lot of junk. Part of what crypto does is it disintermediates huge parts of the financial ecosystem that are rent-seeking and just extracting money from the population. Okay, so closing question. I want to ask on Eric's behalf. He goes to some conferences sometimes, mm-hmm. and you guys do these ETF smackdowns. Mm-hmm. Eric doesn't win. Yeah. He actually doesn't even come in first or second. That is true. Um, you've, <laughs> you've seen, uh, you've won, I've heard. I have won. Eric tells me you win. I have won. On Eric's behalf, how can Eric improve his game? Yeah. So the first has got to be fun selection, Eric. Fun selection. You went with the marijuana ETF. You get you get attracted That's, by these. That seems like it could have. Uh, you get attracted by these sexy, exciting areas, Shiny objects. Shiny objects. And not things that can fundamentally improve people's portfolio mm. uh, in the way... Uh, let's say, a crypto ETF. You just got smacked down by Hogan. (laughs) Let me smack him down. In January, the one you won with was Buy, which was a sort of private equity fund that just looks for public stocks that look private equity-ish. Yeah, yeah. I mean, come on, 95 basis points. This drove Todd Rosenbluth crazy that you won with this. That's why I think it's more show than ticker. Can you tell that Eric has still been out of shape over this? You still see him a little (laughs) bit. Well, he did have a cheering section. I'll I'll tell you what, Eric. Before next Inside ETFs, we'll do a two-day off-site, right? Teach you on how to pitch these ETFs in front of a large crowd. You're going to be my Mr. Miyagi? I will be. I will be. Okay. I'm here. All right, it's a deal. (laughs) I finally can't wait to see you try and do a crane kick. All right, Matt Hogan. Thanks so much for joining us in Trillion. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Trillions. Until next time, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else you want to listen to podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Twitter. I'm at Joel Weber Show. He's at Eric Valchunas. And you can find Matt Hogan at Matt underscore Hogan with a U or at Bitwise Invest. Trillions is produced by Magnus Hendrickson. Francesca Levy is the head of Bloomberg Podcast. Bye. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to help realize a mission to Mars. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CarterEconomicForum.com.